Welcome to On the Edge with Liza Pullman. On the Edge explores the frontier of human potential. What really is possible? Experts in medicine, business, science, and belief systems divulge methods and pathways to productivity, profitability, well-being, freedom, and happiness. Now, here's your host, Liza Pullman. Welcome. Welcome. Today on the edge, I am sharing the hour with Joe Tefer. Joe is an MD, a Colombian American family physician originally from Phoenix, Arizona. After completing his family medicine training at UCLA, Dr. Tafur spent two years in academic research at the University of California, San Diego Department of Psychiatry in a lab focused on mind-body medicine. After his research fellowship, over a period of six years, he lived and worked in the Peruvian Amazon at the traditional healing center, Niwe Rao Centro Espiritual. There he worked closely with Master Shipibo Shaman Ricardo Amaringo and trained in ayahuasca shamanism. In his new book, The Fellowship of the River, a medical doctor's exploration into traditional Amazonian plant medicine, Joe explores this unique experience and integrative medical theories. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm thrilled. You know, Andrew Appel is a close friend of mine and of your brother's, and he shared your book with me earlier this year, okay, just yeah, right. after it was published. And as I use nature therapy as my primary mode of healing with my clients here and in Spain, I was curious about the powerful experience that you described in your book and mm-hmm. went down to Niwe Rao for the last 10 days. I just returned early this morning, so I'm a little short on sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's located outside of Enquitos on the edge of the Amazon. And my experience was nothing short of profound. And the phrase that came to me during one of my experiences is, you really don't know what you don't know. Sure, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the the experience there. So, I mean, people have no idea. You go down to this place that is really on the edge of the Amazon, and you take a plant diet, and included in that plant diet is um, the experience, the ayahuasca experience, and you're immersed in nature. And through also the shamanism, the Shipibo Icaros, there's yeah. some like massive healing that takes place at such a core level. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's very, I mean, you saw it. You were there for 10 days and it's like that every week, you know, like that's the thing. It's when you work there. Uh, that's what I, you know, I went down there for the first time in 2007 and um, I observed that kind of thing was going on, you know, just really profound healing happening with people with this technique, the Shipibo. So the Shipibo, you know, they're, 
an indigenous culture of the Amazon, Peruvian upper Amazon, and Ricardo is a Shipibo, and you, you work with other Shipibo shamans that are there. So it's really like through that tradition that this, the plant diets and the vomitive and all that kind of stuff is done. And then, you know, the Icaros and the shamanism, which, which you could see what an impact that has on directing the ceremony and the process, you know, in the sense that it's, it's not simply about drinking ayahuasca, you know, it's this whole context of traditional Amazonian plant medicine and the other plants and the shamanism and the Icaros, the entire combination is what's really making the difference. And, um, and there's the, the very kind of interesting ways that, that, that the shamans train and develop, you know, this whole technique and the whole tradition and what it's built on is about a connection with nature. You know, that is the foundation of the, uh, of the treatment and the knowledge that is used to direct the treatment. So, yeah. You know, people go down there and there's, there's, Several people like myself who go down there who are curious, right? There was a psychologist down there. There was a psychiatrist down there. There was someone who had taken a leave of um, absence from medical school to go down there to really explore the impact of this experience because the healing effect, I mean, it hits drug and alcohol addiction, sex addiction, depression and anxiety, fear, abandonment, trauma, and, and that includes significant trauma. Um, right. Burdens people carry around from their mothers and fathers. Uh, right. Worthlessness and shame. Asthma. Someone down there during our experience was cleared of asthma that they had had of 21 years. Yeah. You know, and core wounds. And it's unbelievable that, you know, it's very difficult to describe to someone who hasn't been down there. But how this experience can really heal who you are. Right. Well, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, well, you know, have the book, just to throw it out there, the fellowship of the river, uh, like you mentioned, is, is trying to explore this topic, you know, and I think it's just a topic of, you know, Western, like thinking, Western culture. It's really like, um, really limited, you know, and it's, and it's thinking in the sense that people are so wrapped up in it just, you know, like one thing I noticed is that you don't really see like indigenous people that are down there. should peoples that come and explore it. You know, they're not so shocked that like life isn't what they thought it was, but the Western person is very wrapped up in like having their, you know, this idea. Oh, you know, it's not what I thought it was, you know, and so it's like this idea, this, 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 this disconnect from the mystery, you know, which is just really a, uh, you know, if you're using the word profound, that is a profound ignorance, you know, to deny all the time that like, obviously there's a lot of things going on that we don't fully understand, that our scientists don't fully understand, but we hold on so tight, you know, we hold on so tight. And, and what is that all about? You know, that holding on so tight to our belief system, really, it's, it's our belief system that we're holding on to so tight. And it's, it's, uh, it has to do with just like a lot of denial of feeling. You know, it's like if you let go to the structures, you know, that we're trying to impose on our life, then, then you kind of have to feel into what's really happening inside you. And what's going on and 
and the realities of the society, you know. And so really to approach like some of this like deep core stuff, which maybe used to be like more comfortable topics, I don't know, for people. Uh, when we just talk about, I don't I always bring it up like in the eighties and stuff when I was watching movies, people would talk about people being soul sick, you know, and soul sickness. And that that was just kind of a known thing, you know, that if you have a broken heart, you know, that that's not good for your health, you know, that's not good for your life. And, you know, if you see an animal that was mistreated or abused in some way, a dog, you know, or a horse, and you would imagine, you know, the impact that would have long term on the course of their life, unless they went through a, a healing that that involves a lot of love and caring. Really. And so, you know, people like separate themselves from these things because of it would. I guess if you really looked at these things and it's just really harsh, it's tough, you know, to just imagine, oh, what did I go through as a child or what did I put my kids through or what's going on? Or, you know, what is my employment situation? What is my society doing in the world? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so. And then, you know, the obvious, like, deeper mysteries of life that, oh, we're all going to die. And, you know, what's really going on or what, you know, what do we want to do with this lifespan that we have? What is it going to be like, you know, in the moments as we are dying, as we review our life, you know, in the time that we had here? And so this kind of... uh and those are spiritual topics, you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of not really in the mainstream right now. It's been kind of compartmentalized into like, you know, I don't know, fundamentalist religions. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's uncomfortable topics, you know, these people are, they want to, they want to kill each other over their differences of opinion on the mysteries of life, you know. So that's like pretty base, uh, discussion. Um, so, you know, if we want to get into like really like issues of healing the soul, you know, we, you got to open your heart and you got to open your mind. And that can be a really like difficult process, you know, if you haven't done that or you haven't been able to do that or supported through that, you know, it's going to ask you to face a lot of things that, that might be very uncomfortable and difficult. And so that's what you need. You know, a healing center like this, where you have that context, where it's 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 just ready and willing and supportive of, yeah, we know what it's like to go through that. You know, the healers in the context that you were in, like they've all gone through that process. Mm-hmm. Like you did ten days, like they did, they've done years. You know, they've done training of diets that were, you know, in the year range and beyond. And so it's it's a big difference when you enter a healing tradition where the healer is only asking you to go through what they've gone through. So those are some thoughts, you know, on, on that. And, and and that's the kind of like, it's a spiritual context that allows for the deep emotional healing. And the deep emotional healing is what's underlying the kind of shifts you're seeing in people. You know, all that list that you put out there. Also, the possibility of, you know, asthma isn't necessarily always um, rooted in emotional trauma, but there is a degree of asthma that is, you know, and there is an association with anxiety in some cases of asthma. 
And so when we get into some of the psychosomatic components of illness that have been kind of underestimated, undervalued, because they're just not being addressed at all, like in the current, not, I don't want to say at all, but not largely unaddressed by the current healthcare system and approach, you know, where it's like, yeah, in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'm a medical doctor. You know, I'm not going to get to where I get when I live with you for 10 days, you know, in the Amazon. And we eat together and we, you know, go to the ceremony together. We're up there late at night and, you know, going through living through this experience and getting to know each other in a way that that allows for, you know, the kind of intimacy that's going to push, you know, the possibilities. And so it's like so you can't really. And then the nature, of course, the nature being kind of the, the environment that provides the spiritual context, you know, I just, I talk about that a lot at these conferences. I was just that it's like, how do we, you know, we're trying to make sense of us living in this life on this planet earth. And, you know, and then through all the, like, whatever the, the mysteries and the quantum physical, whatever considerations. And it's like, well, nature, you know, is there at this kind of like interface between heaven and earth. And it is telling the story a little bit of how things unfold here. And we can learn so much from it, you know, so that's the first step is, is to, is to open the door again to nature and allow it to influence our culture and our ideas about health. And then community, you know, and being in a community, a supportive community where you, you know, experienced and, and the role that that has in emotional healing is so a lot of these problems are, are rooted in a relationship problems. So it's like you kind of need a social, uh, intervention to some degree or at least a social support system to allow that stuff to unwind and then yeah then once again the spiritual connection to allow yourself to be able to at least consider some of these topics you know and explore the possibility of of healing you know childhood wounds in the present moment um you know finding compassion through like feeling what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes you know, in a way that can be often facilitated by ayahuasca, you know, taking you into the experience of your parents' experience or someone else's experience who wronged you and uh, learning that kind of compassion and then realizing that some of these spiritual concepts that have kind of been dismissed from like modern healthcare, and that's what the book is about, is like trying to explore the, the physiology and the biochemistry of how some of these things could have a role in, in modern medicine again, like, you know, compassion and forgiveness and gratitude and self-love, you know, which is ultimately like probably what you observed happen with a lot of people through their ceremonial work at this very deep and profound level. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have a completely different perspective on the story of their life and a new hope and a new opportunity and then we'll see, we'll see what they do with it. You know, there's, there's a big discussion about the, the integration, um, that is necessary to really bring that kind of experience. There are some things that will shift. There are some, there is some cleaning that's legitimately like done. There's some of it that's just kind of transformed. It's there. It's waiting for you to keep working with it. And then there's that part of you that maybe will still haunt you, you know, that maybe you didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve around some issues. And how will you deal with that? And how will you work your way through that when it comes up? And so that's, 
you know, there's definitely been a lot of discussion about the need for some kind of ongoing support or at least a healthy social network for a person to work through and, and be able to discuss things. So I don't know. Those are some of my thoughts on the subject. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so hard to try to give someone who hasn't had this experience an idea of what it's like. But, you know, some of the things that that came out that I heard from what you said were, you know, this concept of life is not what you think it is, right? So we're, you know, we're fed this whole perspective through, and you know, our institutions, through our schooling, through our, you know, society and communities about what life is. And when you have this experience, you really do see at a profound level that that's not actually what life is, right. that life is something very different. And, you know, the, the life review, you know, it's so interesting how the ayahuasca medicine works in, you know, it just it knows you completely and wholly. And it, it, it goes into your body and reveals to you what you can't see about yourself. You know, like you were saying, you know, maybe you had some event when you were a child that you had no idea how it impacted you. Seeing right. an animal being harmed, you know, um, sexual trauma from someone that maybe was deeply suppressed. I mean, that's a common theme that comes up for people. Wounds, deep wounds that... um yeah. Were not did not surface and and the divinity you know I mean the the use of the word God is omnipresent there I mean people yeah. re, people who go there come from many different religions and and, right. and I will say that people return over and over again I almost everyone there had been there before right um and you have this sense of this bigger picture you know that there really right. is a something very big happening and they were all interconnected and right. that we're deeply connected with the plants and the animals and everything around us. Right. Um, it's so incredibly powerful and. Well, and this is of course what like, you know, so many earth wisdom cultures have been saying forever, mm-hmm. right? This is yeah. this is what life on Earth is. This is what being a human being on this Earth is, and you know we've uh, we're kind of part of this more materialistic culture <clears throat> tradition, you know that has been very much about disconnecting ourselves from from nature, you know, destroying it and and destroying the people that are carrying that knowledge, you know, that kind of interferes with the materialistic goals of the lifestyle. And, and then, you know, then any part of ourselves, you know, that kind of remembers that or feels for that, you know, is also being asked to be denied. Right. In other words, like, huh, this doesn't feel quite right. I don't know about this. I don't know about this job. I don't know about this school. I don't know about this everything, you know, but I guess this is what we're all doing. So we all go along with it. And. So that's that's the issue, you know, is trying to get people to remember their humanity, you know, and it's like, like I said, and, you know, the, in this case, you know, the focus is around healthcare, um, spiritual healing and trying to help people, you know, and, and, and yeah, for the sake of them, for sure. And for the sake of the world, like whatever impact that can have, and then they're going to bring back to their, you I mean, I don't know, there are probably people there from all over the world when you were there. Yeah. It usually is. 
and so you could see there's this this deep hunger. Well, not when I say all over the world, I mean I'm talking about Europe and North America and maybe Australia, New Zealand, um, primarily, right? This is kind of um, the Euro culture diaspora that uh, has the means, but also is very much longing for this kind of connection. Right. Um, right. We need to take ahead. a short break. Okay. All right. So I've been speaking with Joe Tafar, MD, about the miraculous healing power of Amazonian plants. Welcome back to On the Edge. Here's Liza Pullman. Welcome back. I am speaking with MD Joe Tafor about the healing power of Amazonian plants. It's really unbelievably transformational. Um, Joe. Yeah. Let's let's learn about you now, because, you know, you obviously have an amazing story that got you to this point. Can you talk to us about your journey? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I. And as I kind of described in the book, that the, the the issue was that and what we were just talking about, about, you know, this conflict in the society and and, and how we feel inside and all that stuff was. Uh, that when I went to medical school, um, I got depressed, you know, in, in the process. And I wasn't somebody that had really encountered that kind of depression. Maybe I hadn't encountered that kind of stress level or that kind of pressure. But any which way, I, I became very depressed and I was really struggling with myself. And, uh, you know, it had a lot to do with the environment I was in and the belief system that I was kind of, you know, submitting myself to. And attitudes towards, you know, health and kind of materialism and the kind of, like I say, you know, the, the kind of neglect of the role of emotional and spiritual dimensions of in health, but also just in life in general, you know, and in the realities of, of what things would actually influence science. And so, and then the culture around it, you know, the denial and the, all the, <clears throat> I don't know, all the strange kind of humiliating kind of circumstances that seem to surround that whole thing. And that also seemed very odd and disturbed to me, you know, that people are trying to learn about medicine and healing. But then there are so many people trying to take advantage of this culture of fear that the students are cast into about, you know, you've been working so hard. You know, you have this precious opportunity to become a doctor you know, which means like, I guess, a lucrative future, among other things. And yeah, we can take that away from you, you know, if you don't do what we say. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense. You know, it doesn't, it's not really contributing to anything positive. And so I had a difficult experience. And, and in that depression, I eventually, uh, I turned to my dad, who was a psychiatrist, and I, I tried antidepressants for a little while. And I did find it helpful in my case, like it did kind of take me out of, out of my kind of negative thinking. And so I was curious about that and what that was doing for me. But I also got exposed to a good friend of mine who was starting to do psychedelic research, um, at the, at the, 
clinical research into psychedelic medicine, which had kind of reopened um, in the early 90s. And this was like 99, 2000. He was going in wanting to be part of that new wave of research into things like uh, psilocybin from the mushrooms and MDMA from ecstasy and even looking again at things like LSD. And so because of my uh, relationship with him, I learned about uh, what was going on and I kind of learned about a little bit of the biochemistry of it all and just realizing while there was a lot of crossover between some of the psychedelic um, medicines and antidepressants. And I just realized, while wow, there's been this whole, I, you know, that I didn't want to take antidepressants. I felt a, my own personal stigma against that. But then also, I, you know, I had been kind of not really interested in, in strong psychedelics because I just thought that was a whole other, you know, problem. And but then I was seeing, wow, these things are really interrelated, this whole serotonin system and the antidepressants and then the psychedelics. And so I. Uh, you know, that kind of opened my mind and then I was, you know, I knew about and had been kind of curious about peyote in Arizona. There was an opportunity at the peyote way, uh, church of God in Arizona that you, know, you could go there and experience peyote in a ceremonial context. And, uh, so I decided to do that and I, you know, I had stopped antidepressants and all that for some time. And decided to go do that. And I just had a, such a profound healing there. And again, a spiritual context that just kind of allowed me to open up emotionally and then just quiet and heal my mind. And in one night, I just had so many gains. I couldn't believe it. And I became very curious about, about that, you know, and why hadn't I heard about that? And there's a lot of reasons around with peyote that, you know, it's a very scarce resource and the Native Americans have been protecting it. So that makes sense. But, you know, I was just shocked, you know, that this, I didn't know about this or that mental health people weren't curious about this kind of experience. And then, um, I kept going back and I kind of developed relationships with, um, with the, the people there at the church and then also got to meet some kind of more traditional shamans that were kind of coming from a more indigenous based tradition around the peyote and uh just felt like a familiarity with them and then that kind of opened my mind about uh wonder what was going on with ayahuasca you know my family's from colombia south america and i had heard about um ayahuasca and amazonian plant medicine and all different kinds of healings that had happened not with just ayahuasca, but with just herbal medicines that uh, my grandfather's best friend, who was a, a medical botanist that was practicing with those kind of plants. And so I wanted to go down and try it. You know, I wanted there was a kind of a developing ayahuasca tourism scene and I had read some books and heard about it. And so I, I managed to, through my friend, meet who was doing that psychedelic medicine research, meet a few more people that could direct me to a place to go. And so I went and I had a very deep, you know, profound experience there, you know, bigger than, than really, I guess, anything I had been exposed to. And, uh, I also felt like such a familiar, familiarity with it. You know, I was getting along. Ricardo was there at that time, the shaman that, you know, was the, the main shaman at Niwe Rao and my friend and teacher. Um, and I just, 
was blown away by what they were doing and what was going on with people there. And so I went back and saw more of that. And I had more <clears throat> mysterious and profound experiences myself. And then I, I, I brought a friend there to see if they could help him. And they, Ricardo was a big part of that and, you know, profound healing happened. And then I was invited to bring a group to that center. So I brought a group and then again, uh, you know, incredible healing. That was, that's described in the book and, you know, with the PTSD case, Vietnam vet, uh, my friend Russ, you know, who just had such a profound healing as, you know, as I mentioned, after four decades of PTSD, you know, and, uh, you know, mental and physical healing that came out of this spiritual experience. And then around sometime after that, I was going back more and started talking to Ricardo. But he had he at some point wanted to start his own healing center. And he asked if I would help. And Svita, you know, Mamich was there. And at that time, uh, her then boyfriend Marcus was around and some other people. And we were all kind of real enthusiasts. You know, we had all kind of considered training and um just, just, you know, we're really like, wow, you know, Ricardo wants to do this. It just felt like the right thing to do. At the time, it was a, a plan with a bunch of people involved. And we thought, oh, we'll just be there a couple months a year. You know, not a big deal. And then a lot of people dropped out. And we kind of started, you know, we weren't really sure. We didn't take a lot of investment initially to get the whole plan started. But then you kind of realized Ricardo was like dead serious <laughs> about doing it. And then all of a sudden we were like, let's really, we're really doing it and it's happening and people are coming and we need to be there. And so then it became, uh, you know, intensely, you know, powerful thing of like building Niwe Rao and, uh, dealing with all the stuff, you know, like starting, you, know, you were there. I mean, there was nothing there at that place. It was, it was just an open space, you know, so building that out of the trees. Um, nearby, you know, carrying that wood. The maloca is made from wood that was carried on people's backs, you know, to the location. Yeah, the maloca for people's benefit is where the actual ayahuasca ceremonies take place. It's a large circular space with a very tall roof, and it's where um, it's a deeply spiritual space. That's right. You know, it's a deeply spiritual space. So then, you know, building that place up and, and then, you know, then the ceremonies, of course, you know what I mean? Just four ceremonies a week is kind of like how that place runs. Ricardo's, you know, kind of mad plans to just keep it going, you know, throughout the year, um, which we weren't, I'm not sure that's not the best idea. You know, we would want to see more rest for everyone. But at this point, that's how it's been running and that's how we were running it. So, you know, building a business while that's going on. And, uh, not having internet or electricity, you know, initially having to go to town and just being very poor in the middle of the jungle. And, uh, so it was a long haul, you know, it was a long haul to get it to where you, you know, what you experienced there. And so, you know, we put in that time to, to do it and we did it because, because we love it and we were inspired by the healing work that was happening. You know, it just felt immensely important to put in the time and the hours to allow that to happen for people. And so then eventually in that process, 
you know, Ricardo had always imagined. I mean, I had flirted with the idea of training in the ayahuasca shamanism, but wasn't convinced that that's what I wanted to do. It seemed pretty far out there. It seemed like, I don't know if I really want to be in this like spiritual tradition that you got to take this stuff, you know, that was kind of shameful for me. I thought, oh, you know, that's, that's, why can't you do it without doing that kind of thing? And, uh, I guess the stigma around psychedelics or drugs or, you know, everybody's ideas about what that stuff is. But, you know, I just kept coming up and kept resonating with me that that's something that I just seem to work very well with, you know, and it's so powerful. And, and I'm not, I'm not pushing that on people. I don't think everyone should drink ayahuasca. I discourage people from doing it. You know, there's people, it's, it's a very serious, undertaking you know and and then people should be very careful about that you know it's not for a foolish approach it's not for fools you know it's not for you just to go pull, play around with and see what's going on it's a serious thing and so people need to really uh be prepared you know and be prepared to integrate what they're going to go through so there is a certain amount of strong-mindedness that is required you know to really make the most of it and Very then, cur- of course, you definitely need courage. It is. And you need a lot of courage. Requires courage. And then support, you know, and then, and then, yeah, you need to have kind of a, a clear heart about what it is you're trying to do. You know, ayahuasca is only going to take you as far as you're ready to go. You know, all this stuff that it's showing you about your life has, says a lot about you, you know, and so there's that part of it. And so. It's extremely powerful healing tradition, powerful healing plants. But again, it's it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as just drinking ayahuasca and wow, 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 ayahuasca. You know, you are in a region where they've been drinking ayahuasca for centuries and probably millennia. And you can see they have a lot of problems, you know. So it's about how you do it. It's about doing it the right way. There's definitely a lot of abuse of ayahuasca. That's right. I mean, I, I... I personally feel the only way people should do it is is like a Niwe Rao, where you have an enormous support structure and you have a, an incredibly responsible shaman who is guiding people in this process and teaching them actually how to take it, how right. to experience it, how to have the experience and guide yourself through the learnings that take place there. Yeah, and that's that's something to be said. And so there are people developing that and you know Niwe Rao has been you know, we you know, Ricardo is a humongous part of he is the central it is his idea, his vision, you know, and we supported him through that. And uh you can see, you know, he's not a perfect person, you know, he's a human being, but he is extremely dedicated to trying to help people there. Number one, number two he also recognizes the importance of people understanding the process as much as possible. And, you know, to varying degrees of depending on the support staff and, you know, what he has time to offer, you know, trying to make sure that people can understand, you know, the difference between drinking ayahuasca and learning how to drink ayahuasca. You know, that that's actually like there's a knowledge base, multi-generational to draw from. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel, you know, just because you think you're like a new age prodigy. It's like, yeah, that's fine, but it's like, guess what? There's a whole lot more to be learned um, when you have ancestral kind of knowledge base to draw from. 
so there's that. And so then, yeah, eventually I, he convinced me, Ricardo always wanted us to train, to work with him, to be at his side. And so, yeah, I went through the training to become ayahuasca, you know, ayahuasquero in the Shipibo tradition. And, and so, yeah, I'm at that point that, that I help in the ceremony there and, and I can run my own ceremony. It's amazing. Um, you know, I want to get into a little bit into the science of this, but I think that um, we'll push that into the next segment because I think it's going to take more time than um, we have in this particular segment. But I want to talk a little bit about the other plant diets so that, yeah. you know, when you're there, um, you're actually also on a literal plant diet. And for me, I was on Pinon Blanco, which is um, a... Yeah you know, a clarifying plan, I understand, which brings right. light to the heart and mind. Right. I know, and, and that's considered a healing plant. So there's healing plants and there's learning plants that actually teach you. You know, there were people but there. They're, they're yeah, both. Mopinho Blanco is a learning and a healing plant. Mm. So master plant is taken from like the Spanish translation, planta maestra. Mm. Maestra, it means teacher. In Spanish, like it's both master, but it's not, it's not, the connotation very much includes teacher, like you would call your maestra at school. Mm-hmm. Your teacher in your classroom is a su maestra, su profesora. So the, the, the healing and the learning happen in the same process and very often use the same plants. Mm. And so there are some, Pinon Blanco was my first training diet dieting pino blanco six months mm. and so then that was so it's definitely a plant that we use for a lot of healing there are some plants that are used like very much more for just like their herbal you know physical um properties and that you would not potentially diet with you know and we there are those plants and then there are other plants that have they're considered to have more of a a stronger spiritual kind of teaching influence and so that would be used for both healing and learning so in other words like the diet that you did 10 days like I, you know i did the same thing for six months to learn how to sing the songs mm. sing my song sing my ikaro an ikaro that i developed after that process so that's it's that's what it is you know and uh and so so the master plant Pinon Blanco is not known to really have any like obvious psychoactive properties. You know what I mean? So you're not taking it because it makes you high or anything like that. Right. It's a very subtle thing that you're taking and it's been recognized that it has this kind of spiritual influence for the people that are really kind of sincere about it. And so people do have experiences with their master plants even within 10 days. You know, some people might exaggerate those experiences. Some people, you know, it's it's a subjective thing, you know. You've got to talk to them and find out and hear what they what they say about what happened to them. Right. So, I mean, there were people there who literally the plants had conversations with them and very very deep, profound spiritual conversations with them about what life was. But we need to na- take another short break. I've okay. been speaking with Joe Tafor about the science behind the profound healing of Amazon plant medicine.
You're listening to On the Edge with Liza Pullman on TalkZone.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Welcome back to On the Edge. I'm speaking with Joe Tafur, MD, about the profound and total and complete healing of the mind, body, and soul through Amazonian plant medicine. Joe, you know, and we've been talking a lot about the power of this. And for many people, I'm sure it seems really wacky and there's a really weird stigma behind this stuff. But the reality is, is that there's some serious science and research going on about um, these medicines. That's right. That's right. And so that's what I, you know, I try to present in the book, just showing that, you know, we're at this point now in our scientific understanding that we can start talking about this intersection between biology, emotion and spirituality, you know, and people's belief systems. So the first thing is just that there is this big wave coming out of psychedelic medicine research with some like really impressive studies that are really changing the way uh, things like PTSD are being treated. So there's an MDMA-assisted psychotherapy trial. So MDMA is, is you know, the main thing at what we commonly call ecstasy or molly, you know, in its pure form. And which people are using in all these other contexts, you know, parties and whatever, festivals. But then when you see it utilized within this MDMA-assisted psychotherapy um, context, which they've developed, you know, over decades, and then you see that they're they're running a trial where they're taking these treatment-resistant PTSD people where nothing else has helped, you know, for years. And then they do this thing, which is like, I don't know, I think it's like 12 week kind of therapeutic protocol where they do the MDMA in a kind of assisted setting, maybe two or three times. That's it. And they're having these incredible healings, <laughs> like 80% response rate for people treatment resistant. Nothing works for them. And now all of a sudden 80% are getting better. And that's lasting, you know, well into a year and they're following people up for years afterwards. So it seems that the effects of that in some cases are, are very long lasting. And so, uh, that is leading the FDA is now like fast tracking the next stage of the clinical trial for MDMA, which means that it's like within a few years of becoming a prescription medication for that particular purpose. Wow. So that, that would be the first psychedelic medicine or what is considered to be a psychedelic medicine to be now included within, you know, the healthcare system. Meanwhile, psilocybin is being researched in, in, in other related contexts, you know, and it's also having incredible results, um, from magic mushrooms, you know, the psilocybin. So that's happening. So that's making its way into like very well published, documented, you know, um, it's just it's just becoming a reality that it's at the same level as the other you know medications that have been so widely accepted. So that's been going on and that's going on. Meanwhile, ayahuasca sure is also getting they're starting to do research in places where it's easier to do research on ayahuasca in Brazil primarily, and then people are beginning to do run research projects at the healing centers in uh, in Peru, for example. And at the Temple of the Way of Light and the Ayahuasca Foundation is also trying to run a, a research center that they're going to explore some things. So then 
what they've been learning about the psychedelic medicine research. And one of the things is, is like, yeah, it's this process of opening your mind, you know, and the deconditioning, what kind of what you talked about is like people are culturally conditioned to kind of, you see what, how that works. That cultural conditioning is a huge part of your belief system. And that some of that may be very, um, counterproductive to your health, you know, the ways that you're being led to believe about what life is may actually be just out of whack and make you suffer. And, and that includes, you know, things that you learn growing up with your family and with the people you grew up around that you just may be exposed to some really uh, difficult and stressful conditions or maybe even not that difficult, but stressful enough to kind of mislead your system into kind of going down these protective mechanisms that might hurt you later in life. And so then these psychedelic medicines are, uh, you know, these profound, as Terrence McKenna put it, like deconditioning agents that all of a sudden it makes it a whole lot easier for you to see beyond that, you know, just to, to, to understand, for your consciousness to expand to a point where you can see beyond the limitations of some of those things that you realize were kind of just arbitrary or just circumstantial or just because, you know, your mom went through some terrible experience is kind of probably why she treated you that way. And, and, you know, whatever the conditions were. So then that involves like an opening of the mind, you know, and they're beginning to really look at, at a neuroscientific level, at the way these things help open your mind and what that means and, and kind of, uh, um, altering the way like certain neural networks that are being linked to kind of ego structure and ego function, you know, to, to allow those things to calm down. And what happens when those things calm down is like, well, uh, you see people have like definitely like more sensory input, you know, they're not, so their filter is quieted of their constant like stories they're telling themselves about what's going on around them. And so now they have this, whoa, you know, big time sensory input, smells, sights, sounds, you know, everything is, is much more intense. Then their filtration of their own emotional body awareness that's been kind of stuffed down starts to open up and flow, free flow into their conscious mind. And all of a sudden, the way they feel inside and whatever knowledge that has about their life starts flowing into their consciousness. And then this third part, which is just becoming a scientific reality that has to be addressed is, at least in the psilocybin research, they're showing that, you know, when they get them at a certain dose and they quiet this neural network and they allow these things to happen, that the majority of them enter what is, you know, being called a mystical experience. So now they're into this mystical awareness and consciousness beyond space and time and feeling these kind of divine um, union experiences and gaining knowledge and information from that connection. So there's that is happening. So this opening of the mind that ends up also kind of going along with this opening of the heart you know, or the process of trying to figure out what what is blocking the heart and opening the heart. And so all that's happening. And then meanwhile... People describe this subjective experience of all this profound healing process that they're going through while that's happening. And, you know, that continues onward, of course, when you're doing this deep Shipibo plant diets, you know, in the day and through the days. And it's not just about the ceremony. 
And it's about all that, that other kind of sacrifice and sincerity about, about wanting to heal. And so then we see like these people go through these spiritual experiences, you know, primarily in the ceremony, but sometimes in the day or in their dreams where they're, let's say they're talking to a, you know, deceased loved one and working out some issue and finding resolution over some kind of issue. And that process, as wild and wacky as it might sound to somebody, leads to a spiritually very, I'm sorry, an emotionally very real experience, you know. You know, I had but, those experiences. It's 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 profound, profound the healing that takes place. What about the, you know, the pharmaceuticals, it's a weird thing because people, you know, we have problems with pharmaceuticals in our culture. That's right. But they yet, 50% of, of the world's uh, pharmaceuticals are consumed in the United States of America. Wow. That was a Newsweek report a few years ago. Wow. So when you talk about cultural, you know, and, and, and the, the capacity of the human being to be manipulated, you know, and confused about what life could be, you know, it's like we tell, we describe what's going on in North Korea and oh wow, they're so brainwashed in the propaganda, you know, but then we look at some of these stats, like Newsweek reported 50% of the world's prescription medications. I think that was, I think it was, it was Newsweek. It was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was that article. Anyways, it's a huge percentage. Like just this idea that being on pills is just part of being alive. That getting older means you're going to be on more pills and that's life. And yeah, who cares? What's the difference? You know, just go to the ball game. But through this research, what, you know, there's a difference between taking a natural remedy, which, you know, these are natural, you know, and what's being studied are the natural elements and taking these more synthetic, um, compounds sure well because so then, really all pharmaceuticals come from plants at some at some level right at the very least from nature you know even if they squeeze them out of some rocks you know what i mean right. they're it's from the earth and so that whole thing so synthetic even so even with the synthetic compounds just for the record it's like the mdma study they're doing it two or three times and that's it mm-hmm. versus me as a family medicine doctor they talk about confused, kind of weird ideas. As a family medicine doctor, I could prescribe somebody antidepressants for the rest of their life. No one would care. That would be considered totally normal. And yet, if I say, hey, let's do this other thing. Let's go. Let's take them down there for 10 days. Yeah, they're going to have some intense experiences. We're going to put them on some plants, just plants cooked over a fire. Okay, No laboratory, nothing involved. And let's see if we can get them off the meds. You know, and then that's considered a radical idea. And just the confusion around that, you know, just that the idea that some of these things. So, you know, it's this concept of like, obviously, there's the corporate interest around that kind of thing, you know, and the the profit that that's there to to influence some people. But then there's this other idea of like how that kind of works into the, the mentality about medicine and healing is like, well, some of these chronic diseases, you know, may actually be treatable. It's just that, you know, the Western model, because they ignore or have been neglecting, you know, the emotional and spiritual dimensions of those problems, they haven't had any success. But once you include those dimensions into the situation again, and these, you know, ayahuasca and similar type of approaches, you know, have the potential to reopen very rapidly this emotional and spiritual dimension of those illnesses, and then you can work with that. 
And then you realize, wow, this was, this was an emotionally rooted trauma that was underneath, like you said, this person's asthma, that was underneath this person's migraine headaches, that was underneath their anxiety and their depression, you know, and, uh, you know, PTSD would be a more obvious example, you know, just clearly very obvious. It's a deep emotional trauma involved. But then you have these psychosomatic situations where it's like, well, there's some degree of that going on in, in some psoriasis cases. There's some degree of that going on in a lot of inflammatory bowel disorders, whether it's irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease. You know, and they talked about those cases. So when I saw these kind of people healing from these very different kinds of cases at Niwe Rao, uh, and like a rapid course, you know, or at least having making really significant gains that they hadn't made in possibly decades, you know, going to the doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm not against the doctors, but, uh, you know, they had already gone. They already done all that. And they told them, you can't get better. You know, versus saying, hey, you know what? We don't know how to help you. That's as far as we can get you. Hopefully there's somebody else out there who knows more than us. Mm. And so then once you're able to deal with this emotional stuff within the spiritual context, you see this healing, which in the book I'd say is like, you know, possibly through these epigenetic mechanisms. There's a lot of scientific literature to support that idea and that argument. So we are initiating research and looking for support at Modern Spirit, you know, to do this research in, in co- collaboration with Niwe Rao, Temple of the Way of Light, Yale Neuroscience, University of Pittsburgh, uh, Psychiatry. Yeah, I, you know, I still, even though so much is being done, I know you're in that world and you see that, I still feel like there's an enormous gap getting people off of the pharmaceuticals and into really doing the work that needs to be done to heal themselves. So we only have about a minute left. I mean, I want to know how people can learn more about you. And um, I want to put out there that if people want to know more about Nihurao, they can go to www.nihueraocom But tell us how they can get a hold of you. Then they can through Nihurao or through my website, drjoetofer.com. You know, there I present the book and links to, to getting the book to learn more about that and, and some YouTubes and, you know, more discussion about everything we're talking about. And again, the book is The Fellowship of the River, a medical doctor's exploration into traditional Amazonian plant medicine. Thank you, Joe, so much for sharing this profound experience with us today. Thank you very much for having me. We've just spent the last hour with Joe Tafour, MD and traditional Amazonian plant medicine expert. For more information on Joe and his medical work, go to Dr. Joe Tafour, that's T-A-F-U-R.com, or modernspirit.org. Find him on my page on TalkZone or at www.imaginaconsulting.com. Until next week, cleanse your mind, body, and soul. <laughs>